0: In the wake of COVID-19 lockdowns, travel restrictions, global economic and cultural turmoil, and increasing hostility toward Christianity, it might be easy for the average Christian to take a defensive posture and forget that the Church of Jesus Christ has been given a great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We should ask ourselves, where is our theology taking us? Our Savior now ruling in the midst of his enemies, said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, true churches of Jesus Christ should at all times devote themselves to the cause of advancing his kingdom through missions and church planting. But how should these things be done? We stand amidst the wreckage of a century full of the spread of evangelical pragmatism and false doctrines which were often championed by armies of churchless pioneer missionaries and parachurch organizations as a reformed baptist we desire to return to simple obedience to jesus christ in the word of god christians must seek to accomplish the great commission in the way that he commanded local churches must lead the way we hope you can join us for the first annual covenant conference in louisville kentucky taking place on march 17th through the 19th 2022. we will hear from paul washer tom nettles sam waldron and john miller who will encourage us both to think biblically about the practice of missions and church planning and to commit ourselves afresh to these vital responsibilities given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more or register today, visit covcon.org. That's covcon.org.
1: This is the Man of God Network, a podcast of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. This is the voice of the narrated Puritan. For other narrations, church history lessons, go to Puritanaudiobooks.com. A short account of God's dealings with George Whitfield, written by himself on board the Elizabeth, Captain Stevenson bound from London to Philadelphia and sent over by him to be published for the benefit of the Orphan House in Georgia. Since it has pleased our Heavenly Father to protract my worthless life to such an expected period, I desire to thank him from my inmost soul that he has given me to see the gospel seed that was sown upwards of twenty years ago now grown into a tree. Glory be to his holy name. Multitudes, both in England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland, and various parts of North America, have been brought to lodge under the branches of it. How far it is yet to spread can be known only to him with whom the residue of the Spirit is. At present, thanks be to God, the prospect is promising. A new set of instruments seem to be rising up by whom I trust those that were first sent forth will not only be succeeded, but eclipsed, as the stars are succeeded and eclipsed by the rising sun. May they go on and prosper, and in the strength of their common lore, be made happily instrumental to direct a careless, unthinking world into a holy method of dying to themselves and living to God. This is the only Methodism I desire to know and that this may meet with an unusual flow amongst ministers and people of all denominations, I am sure you will join me in praying. Christian Reader Thy Servant for Our Common Master's Sake George Whitfield, London, June fourth, 1756 oh, The following account of what God has done for my soul will undoubtedly be differently judged by different people. Yet since I believe a single lie to God's glory moves me to write, And I find myself much pressed in spirit to publish it at this time. I am not in the least solicitous about the receptions it will meet with in the world. The benefits I have received from reading the lives of others. The examples we have in scripture of the sacred authors composing their own histories. And more especially the assistance I have had from the Holy Spirit in bringing many things to my remembrance, which otherwise I would have forgotten seemed to me reason sufficient to justify my conduct in the sight of God and good men. Further, as God has been pleased of late to call me to a public work, I thought his children would be glad to know how I was trained up for it. And though some may think this had been as well deferred until after my death, or written by some other person, Yet I thought it might be more beneficial and be better credited if written with my own hand and published whilst I was yet alive. In the accounts of good men which I have read, I have observed that the writers of them have been partial. They have given us a bright but not the dark side of their character. This, I think, proceeded from a kind of pious fraud. Less mentioning persons' fault should encourage others in sin. It cannot, I am sure, proceed from the wisdom which comes from above. The sacred writers give an account of their failings as well as their virtues. Peter is not ashamed to confess that with oaths and curses he thrice denied his master. Nor do the evangelists make any scruple of telling us that out of Mary Magdalene Christ Jesus cast seven devils. I have therefore endeavoured to follow their good example. I have simply told what I was by nature, as well as what I am by grace. I am not overcautious as to any supposed consequences, since none can be hurt by these, but such as hold the truth in unrighteousness, to the pure all things will be pure. As I have often wished, when in my best frames, that the first years of my life might be put down as a blank and had no more in remembrance, so I could almost wish now to pass them over in silence, but, as they will in some degree illustrate God's dealings with me in my riper years, I shall, as I am able, give the following account of them. From my infancy till my being for some time at the university, I was born in Gloucester in the month of December 1714, my father and mother kept a bell in. The former died when I was two years old. The latter is now alive and has often told me how she endured 14 weeks sickness after she brought me into the world, but was used to say even when I was an infant that she expected more comfort from me than any other of her children. This, with the circumstance of my being born in an inn, has been often of service to me in exciting my endeavors to make good my mother's expectations, and so follow the example of my dear Savior who was born in a manger belonging to an inn. My very infant years must necessarily not be mentioned, yet I can remember such early stirrings of corruption in my heart as abundantly convinces me that I was conceived and born in sin, that in me dwells no good thing by nature and that if God had not freely prevented me by his grace, I must have been forever banished from his divine presence. I can truly say, I was forward from my mother's womb. I was so brutish as to hate instruction, and used purposely to shun all opportunities of receiving it. I committed some very early acts of uncleanness. I soon gave pregnant proofs of an impudent temper, lying, filthy talking, and foolish jesting, I was much addicted to, even when very young. Sometimes I used to curse, if not swear. Stealing from my mother, I thought no theft at all, and used to make no scruple of taking money out of her pocket before she was up. I have frequently betrayed my trust, and have more than once spent money I took in the house in buying fruits, tarts, and so on to satisfy my sensual appetite. Numbers of Sabbaths have I broken and generally used to behave myself very irreverently in God's sanctuary. Much money have I spent in plays and in the common entertainments of the age. Cards and reading romances were my heart's delight. Often have I joined with others in playing roguish tricks, but was generally, if not always, happily detected For this I have often since and do now bless and praise God. It would be endless to recount the sins and offenses of my younger days. They are more in number than the hairs of my head. My heart would fail me at the remembrance of them was I not assured that my Redeemer lives ever to make intercession for me. However, the young man in the gospel might boast how he had kept the commandments from his youth with shame and confusion of face, I confess that I have broken them all from my youth. I disclaim any such thing. If I trace myself from my cradle to my manhood, I can see nothing in me but a fitness to be damned. I speak the truth in Christ. I lie not. If the Almighty had not prevented me by his grace and wrought most powerfully upon my soul quickening me by his free spirit when dead in trespasses and sins, and now either been sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, or condemned as a due reward of my crimes to be forever lifting up my eyes in torments. But such was the free grace of God to me, that though corruption worked so strongly in my soul, and produced such early and bitter fruits, Yet I can recollect very early movements of the Blessed Spirit upon my heart, sufficient to satisfy me that God loved me with an everlasting love and separated me even from my mother's womb for the work to which he afterwards was pleased to call me. I had some early convictions of sin, and once I remember when some persons, as they frequently did, made it their business to tease me, I immediately retired to my room and kneeling down with many tears prayed over that psalm in which David so often repeats these words. But in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. I was always fond of being a clergyman used frequently to imitate the ministers reading prayers and so on. Part of the money I used to steal from my parent I gave to the poor. And some books I privately took from others for which I have since restored fourfold. I remember were books of devotion. My mother was very careful of my education and always kept me in my tender years, for which I can never sufficiently thank her from intermeddling in the least with the public business. About the tenth year of my age, it pleased God to permit my mother to marry a second time. It proved what the world would call an unhappy match is for temporals. But God overruled it for good. It set my brethren upon thinking more than otherwise they would have done. It made an uncommon impression upon my own heart in particular. When I was about 12, I was placed at a school called St. Mary de Crypt in Gloucester, the last grammar school I ever went to. Having a good elocution and memory, I was remarked for making speeches before the corporation at their annual visitations. But I cannot say I felt any drawings of God upon my soul for a year or two, saving that I laid out some of the money that was given me on one of those forementioned occasions in buying Kin's manual for Winchester scholars, a book that had much affected me when my brother used to read it in my mother's troubles and which for some time after I bought it was of great benefit to my soul. During the time of my being at school, I was very fond of reading plays, and have kept from school for days together to prepare myself for acting them. My master, seeing how mine and my school fellow's vein ran, composed something of this kind for us himself, and caused me to dress myself in girls' clothes, which I'd often done, to act a part before the corporation. The remembrance of this has often covered me with confusion of face, and I hope will do so even to the end of my life. And I cannot but here observe, with much concern of mine, how this way of training up youth has a natural tendency to debauch the mind, to raise ill passions, and to stuff the memory with things as contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ as light as to darkness and heaven to hell. However, I must always acknowledge my particular thanks are due to my master for the great pains he took with me and his other scholars in teaching us to speak and write correctly. Before I was 15, having, as I thought, made a sufficient progress in the classics and at the bottom longing to be set at liberty from the confinement of a school, I one day told my mother, since her circumstances would not permit her to give me an university education, more learning I thought would swell me for a tradesman, and therefore I judged it best not to learn Latin any longer. She at first refused to consent, but my corruption soon got the better of her good nature. Hereupon, for some time, I went to learn to write only, but my mother's circumstances being much on the decline, and being tractable, That way, I from time to time began to assist her occasionally in the public house, till at length I put on my blue apron and my snuffers, washed the mops, cleaned the rooms, and in one word became professed and common drawer for nigh a year and a half. But he who was with David when he was following the sheep big with young was with me even here. For notwithstanding, I was thus employed in a common inn, and had sometimes the care of the whole house upon my hands. Yet I composed two or three sermons, and dedicated one of them in particular to my older brother. One time I remember I was much pressed to self-examination, and found myself very unwilling to look into my heart. Frequently I read the Bible when sitting up at night, seeing the boy's go by to school has often cut me to the heart, and a dear youth now with God would often come and treat me when serving at the bar to go to Oxford. My general answer was, I wish I could. After i had continued about a year in this servile employment, my mother was obliged to leave the inn. My brother, who had been bred up for the business, married, whereupon all was made over to him, and I, being accustomed to the house, It was agreed that I should continue there as an assistant. But God's thoughts were not as our thoughts. By his good providence it happened that my sister-in-law and I could by no means agree. And at length the resentment grew to such a height that my proud heart would scarce allow me to speak to her for three weeks together. But the Lord, as Hagar when flying from her mistress Sarah, little thinking that God by this means was forcing me out of the public business and calling me from drawing wine for drunkards to draw waters out of the wells of salvation for the refreshment of a spiritual Israel. After continuing for a long while under this burden of mind, I at length resolved, thinking my absence would make all things easy to go away accordingly by the advice of my brother, and consent of my mother, I went to see my elder brother, then settled at Bristol. Here God was pleased to give me great foretastes of his love, and fill me with such unspeakable raptures, particularly once in St. John's Church, that I was carried out beyond myself. I felt great hungerings and thirstings after the blessed sacrament, and wrote many letters to my mother telling her I would never go into the public employment again. Thomas Kempis was my great delight, and I was always impatient till the bell rang to call me to tread the courts of the Lord's house. But in the midst of these illuminations, something surely whispered, this will not last. And indeed, so it happened, for oh, that I could write it in tears of blood. When I left Bristol, as I did in about two months, and returned to Gloucester, I changed my devotion with my place. Alas, all my fervor went off. I had no inclination to go to church or draw near to God. In short, my heart, though I had so lately tasted of his love, was far from him. However, I had so much religion left as to persist in my resolution not to live in the inn, and therefore my mother gave me leave, though she had but a little income, to have a bed upon the ground and live at her house till Providence should point out a place for me. Having now as I thought nothing to do, it was a proper season for Satan to tempt me. Much of my time I spent in reading plays and in sauntering from place to place. I was careful to adorn my body, but took little pains to deck and beautify my soul. Evil communications with my old school soon corrupted my good manners. By seeing their evil practices, the sense of the divine presence I had vouchsafed to me insensibly wore off my mind, and I at length fell into abominable secret sin, the dismal effects of which I have felt and groaned under ever since. But God, whose gifts and callings are without repentance, would let nothing pluck me out of his hand, so I was continually doing despite to the Spirit of grace. He saw me with pity and compassion when lying in my blood. He passed by me. He said unto me, live, and even gave me some foresight of his providing for me. One morning, as I was reading a play to my sister, I said, Sister, God intends something for me which we know not of. As I have been diligent in business, I believe many would gladly have me for an apprentice but every way seems to be barred up, so that I think God will provide for me some way or other that we cannot comprehend. How I came to say these words, I don't know. God afterwards showed me they came from him. Having thus lived with my mother for some considerable time, a young student, who was once my schoolfellow and then a servitor of Pembroke College, Oxford, came to pay my mother a visit. Amongst other conversation, he told her how he had discharged all college expenses that quarter and received a penny. Upon that, my mother immediately cried out, This will do for my son. Then turning to me, she said, Will you go to Oxford, George? I replied with all my heart. Whereupon having the same friends that this young student had, my mother without delay waited on them. They promised their interest to get me a servitor's place in the same college. She then applied to my old master, who much approved of my coming to school again. About a week I went and re-entered myself, and being grown much in stature, my master addressed me thus. I see, George, you are advanced in stature, but your better part must needs have gone backwards. This made me blush. He sent me something to translate into Latin and though I had made no application to my classics for so long a time, yet I had but one inconsiderable fault in my exercises. This, I believe, somewhat surprised my master then, and has afforded me manner of thanks and praise ever since. Being resettled at school, I spared no pains to go forward in my book. God was pleased to give me his blessing, and I learned much faster than I did before. But all this while I continued in secret sin, and at length got acquainted with such a set of debauched, abandoned, atheistical youths, that if God by his free, unmerited, and special grace had not delivered me out of their hands, I should have long since sat in a scorner's chair and made a mock at sin. By keeping company with them, my thoughts of religion grew more and more like theirs. I went to public service only to make sport and walk about. I took pleasure in their lewd conversation— I began to reason as they did and to ask why God had given me passions and not permitted me to gratify them, not considering that God did not originally give us these corrupt passions and that he had promised help to withstand them if we would ask it of him. In short, I soon made a very great proficiency in the school of the devil. I affected to look rakish, and was in a fair way of being as infamous as the worst of them. But oh, stupendous love! God even here stopped me when running on in a full career to hell. For just as I was upon the brink of ruin, he gave me such a distaste of their principles and practices that I discovered them to my master, who soon put a stop to their proceedings. Being thus delivered out of the snare of the devil, I began to be more and more serious and felt God at different times working powerfully and convincingly upon my soul. One day in particular, as I was coming downstairs and overheard my friends speaking well of me, God so deeply convicted me of hypocrisy, that though I had formed frequent but ineffectual resolutions before, yet I had then power given me over my secret and darling sin. Notwithstanding, Sometime after being overtaken in liquor, as I have been twice or thrice in my life, Satan gained his usual advantage over me again. An experimental proof to my poor soul how that wicked one makes use of men as machines, working them up to just what he pleases when by intemperance they have chased away the Spirit of God from them. Being now near the seventeenth year of my age, I was resolved to prepare myself for the holy sacrament, which I received on Christmas Day. I began now to be more and more watchful over my thoughts, words, and actions. I kept the following Lent, fasting Wednesday and Friday, 36 hours together. My evenings, when I had done waiting upon my mother, were generally spent in acts of devotion, reading Drellencourt on death and other practical books, and I constantly went to public worship twice a day. Being now upper boy, by God's help, I made some reformation amongst my school fellows. I was very diligent in reading and learning the classics, and in studying my Greek testament, but was not yet convinced of the absolute unlawfulness of playing at cards and of reading and seeing plays, though I began to have some scruples about it. Near to this time, I dreamed that I was to see God on Mount Sinai, but was afraid to meet him. This made a great impression upon me and a gentlewoman to whom I told it said, George, this is a call from God. Still, I grew more serious after this dream, but yet hypocrisy crept into every action. As once I affected to look more rakish, I now strove to appear more grave than I really was. However, an uncommon concern and alteration was visible in my behavior, and I often used to find fault with the likeness of others. One night, as I was going on an errand for my mother, an unaccountable but very strong impression was made upon my heart that I should preach quickly. When I came home, I innocently told my mother what had befallen me, but she, like Joseph's parents when he told them his dream, turned short upon me crying out, what does the boy mean? Prithee, hold thy tongue, or something to that purpose. God has since shown her from whom that impression came. For about twelve months, I went on in a round of duties, receiving the sacrament monthly, fasting frequently, attending constantly on public worship, and praying often more than twice a day in private. One of my brothers used to tell me he feared this would not hold long, and that I should forget all when I came to Oxford. This caution did me much service for it set me upon praying for perseverance. And under God, the preparation I made in the country was a preservative against the manifold temptations which beset me at my first coming to that seat of learning. Being now 18 years old, it was judged proper for me to go to the university. God has sweetly prepared my way. The friends before, applied to recommend me to the master of Pembroke College. Another friend took us ten pounds upon bond, which I have since repaid to defray the first expense of entering, and the master, contrary to all expectations, admitted me servitor immediately. Soon after my admission, I went and recited, and found my having been used to a public house was now of service to me. For many of the servitors being sick at my first coming up, By my diligent and ready attendance, I ingratiated myself into the gentleman's favor so far that many who had it in their power chose me to be their servitor. This much lessened my expense, and indeed God was so gracious that with the profits of my place and some little presents made me by my kind tutor, for almost the first three years, I did not put all my relations together to above twenty-four pounds expense." and it has often grieved my soul to see so many young students spending their substance an extravagant living, and by this entirely unfitting themselves for the prosecution of their studies. I had not long been at the university before I found the benefit of the foundation I had laid in the country for a holy life. I was quickly solicited to join in their excess of riot, with several who lay in the same room. God, in answer to prayers before put up, gave me grace to withstand them, and once in particular, it being cold, my limbs were so benumbed by sitting alone in my study, because I would not go out amongst them that I could scarce sleep all night. But I soon found the benefit of not yielding, for when they perceived they could not prevail, they let me alone as a singular odd fellow. All this while I was not fully satisfied with the sin of playing at cards and reading plays, till God, upon a fast day, was pleased to convince me. For taking a play to read a passage out of it to a friend, God struck my heart with such power that I was obliged to lay it down again. Blessed be his name, I have not read any such book since. Before I went to the university, I met with William Law's serious call to a devout and holy life, but had not then money to purchase it. Soon after my coming to the university, Seeing a small edition of it in a friend's hand, I soon procured it. God worked powerfully upon my soul as he has since upon many others by that and its other excellent treatise upon Christian perfection. I now began to pray and sing psalms thrice every day, besides morning and evening, and to fast every Friday, and to receive the sacrament at a parish church near a college and at the castle where the despised Methodists used to receive once a month. The young men so called were then much talked of at Oxford. I had heard of and loved them before I came to the university, and so strenuously defended them when I heard them reviled by the students, that they began to think I also in time should be one of them. For above a year my soul longed to be acquainted with some of them, and I was strongly pressed to follow their good example when I saw them go through a ridiculing crowd to receive the Holy Eucharist at St. Mary's. At length, God was pleased to open a door. It happened that a poor woman in one of the workhouses had attempted to cut her throat, but was happily prevented. Upon hearing of this, and knowing that both the Wesleys were ready to every good work, I sent a poor apple woman of our college to inform Mr. Charles Wesley of it, charging her not to discover who sent her. She went, but contrary to my orders, told my name. He haven't heard of my coming to the castle in a parish church sacrament, and having met me frequently walking by myself, followed the woman when she was gone away, and sent an invitation to me by her to come to breakfast with him the next morning. I thankfully embraced the opportunity, and blessed be God, it was one of the most profitable visits I had ever made in my life. My soul at that time was a thirst for some spiritual friends to lift up my hands when they hung down, and to strengthen my feeble knees. He soon discovered it, and like a wise winner of souls, made all his discourses tend that way. And when he had put into my hands... Professor Franks' treatise against the fear of man, and a book entitled "The Country Parson's Advice to His Parishioners," the last of which was wonderfully blessed my soul. I took my leave. In a short time, he let me have another book entitled "The Life of God and the Soul of Man," and though I had fasted, washed, and prayed, and received the sacrament so long. Yet I never knew what true religion was until God sent me that excellent treatise by the hands of my never-to-be-forgotten friend. At my first reading, I wondered what the author meant by saying that some falsely placed religion in going to church, doing hurt to no one but being constant in the duties of the closet, and now and then reaching out their hands to give alms to their poor neighbors. Alas, I thought, if this isn't true religion, what is? God soon showed me. For in reading a few lines further, the true religion was union of the soul with God and Christ formed within us. A ray of divine light was instantaneously darted in upon my soul. And from that moment, but not till then, did I know that I must be a new creature. Upon this Like the woman of Samaria when Christ revealed himself to her at the well, I had no rest in my soul till I wrote letters to my relations telling them there was such a thing as a new birth. I imagine they would have gladly received it, but alas, my words seemed to them as idle tales." They thought I was beside myself, and by their letters confirmed me in the resolutions I had taken not to go down into the country, but continue where I was, lest that by any means the good work which God had begun in my soul might be made of none effect. From time to time Mr. Wesley permitted me to come to him, and instructed me as I was able to bear it. By degrees he introduced me to the rest of his Christian brethren. They built me up daily in the knowledge and fear of God and taught me to endure hardness, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I now began, like them, to live by rule and to pick up the very fragments of my time that not a moment of it might be lost. Whether I ate or drank or whatsoever I did, I endeavored to do all to the glory of God, like them, having no weekly sacrament, although the rubric required it. At our own college, I received every Sunday at Christ Church. I joined with them in keeping the stations by fasting Wednesdays and Fridays and left no means unused, which I thought would lead me nearer to Jesus Christ. Regular retirement, morning and evening at first, I found some difficulty in submitting to, but it soon grew profitable and delightful. As I grew ripe for such exercises, I was from time to time engaged to visit the sick the prisoners and to read to poor people, till I made it a custom, as most of us did, to spend an hour every day in doing acts of charity. The course of my studies I soon entirely changed, whereas before I was busied in studying the dry sciences and books that went no further than the surface, I now resolved to read only such as entered into the heart of religion, and which led me directly into an experimental knowledge of Jesus Christ and Him crucified the lively oracles of God were my soul's delight. The book of the divine laws was seldom out of my hands. I meditated therein day and night, and ever since that God has made my way signally prosperous and given me abundant success. God enabled me to do much good to many, as well as to receive much from the despised Methodists and made me instrumental in converting one who has lately come into the church and I trust will prove a burning and a shining light. Several short fits of illness was God pleased to visit and to try me with, after my first acquaintance with Mr. Wesley. My new convert was to help me for me in those and in all other circumstances, and company with him and several other Christian friends did I spend many sweet and delightful hours, Never did persons, I believe, strive more earnestly to enter in at the strait gate. They kept their bodies under even to an extreme. They were dead to the world and willing to be accounted as the dung at offscouring of all things, so that they might win Christ. Their hearts glowed with the love of God, and they never prospered so much in the inward man as when they had all manner of evil spoken against them falsely without. Many came amongst them for a while, who in time of temptation fell away. The displeasure of a tutor or head of a college, the changing of a gown from a lower to a higher degree, above all a thirst for the praise of men more than that which comes from God, and servile fear of contempt, caused numbers that had set their hand to the plow shamefully to look back. The world and not themselves gave them the title of Methodists, I suppose, from their custom of regulating their time and planning the business of the day every morning. Mr. John and Charles Wesley were two of the first that thus openly dared to confess Christ, and they, under God, were the spiritual fathers of most of them. They had the pleasure of seeing the work of the Lord prosper in their hands before they went to Georgia. Since their return, a small grain of mustard seed has sprung up apace, it has taken deep root, it is growing into a great tree, ere long I trust it will fill the land and numbers of souls will come from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, and lodge under the branches of it. But to return, whilst I was thus comforted on every side by daily conversing with so many Christian friends, God was pleased to permit Satan to sift me like wheat.